good morning. I'm reading from Acts 18, 1 to 18. That's um, page 927 in the Bibles. Paul and Corinth. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila and a, nat a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to pursue Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied uh, with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood is, your blood is on, your own heads, uh, on your own hands, and I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left then and went to the house of a man named, named Titus Justus, a worshipper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio um, was pronsal and <clears throat> Anaya, uh, Achaia, the Jews made an united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading Jew, uh, people to worship God contrary to, contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O oh Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about the word and names and your own law, see to yourselves, I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Southerners, the ruler of the synagogue, and, um, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to these things. Uh, it's lovely um, to be here. Uh, confession time, I love Grace Church Leith. Every time I get a WhatsApp from Athol saying he's going on holiday, it makes my day. So it's lovely to be here. It's great to be here next um, week as well. And my prayer is that Athol would just have lots more holidays, like loads. Um, I want us to look at uh, Acts 18, but before we do, um, let's pray together. Father God, we're so thankful for your kindness to us kindness in gathering us together, kindness in giving us your word that we might know you better and follow you more, more faithfully and see your son ever clearer. Father, we're so thankful for your kindness that at the beginning of what will be busy weeks, we have a chance to orientate ourselves around your gospel. So Father, what we don't know, would you teach us? Father, what we don't have, would you give us? And Father, what we're still becoming, would you make us? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder, um, are you a suspicious person? Are you a suspicious person? The kind of people that um, British Transport Police love 
Do you know, if you see something out of place, please report it. You're constantly looking. Oh, is that their suitcase or has it just been left there? Or are you suspicious? You know, you get that email saying that you've won the lottery in Lagos and all you need to do is um, donate 50 pounds and suddenly all these millions will be yours. Are you suspicious at that point or with your children who say, I'm just going to go into my room and do some colouring, but I need to close the door at that point? Uh, Are you suspicious? Or when you're scrolling through Facebook in one of those like empty times of the day and you see uh, incredible discounts, a North Face jacket, 95% off, and all you need to do is fill in this form. I wonder, are you a suspicious person? My one overarching aim of our time this morning is that you would leave here much more suspicious than you came in. I want you to actually turn up your suspicious level to 11 as a result of our morning. And you would go into this week ever so suspicious about what is going on in your life and around your life to the glory of God and the blessing of people. I want you to be so suspicious about what God might be doing in you and through you and around you as you seek to live for the Lord Jesus and speak of him to others. So we're in um, Acts 18. We're towards the end of Paul's second missionary journey. It's a missionary journey that started after the Council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. And Paul thought he was setting off with Barnabas. But Paul had a Barney with Barney about John Mark and instead they decided to go their separate ways and Paul recruited Silas to the team. And they had this great idea that they would go into Asia, into modern day Turkey, but the sovereign Lord stopped them. Stood as a roadblock and they didn't know what to do, but they were down in Troas. And Paul one night had a vision of the man of Macedonia who said, come to Europe. And so they did. And if you looked at Europe and you thought, what would be a great place to start gospel operations in Europe? Philippi would be at the very bottom of your list. Philippi was a place that was the second most Roman city outside Rome. The spiritual temperature of Philippi was so low that there wasn't even a synagogue in the city. You would not think Philippi was going to be a good first foray for gospel operations in Europe. And yet the word of the gospel is so powerful that God opens all kinds of hearts, all kinds of doors. And he even opens a prison cell for Paul and Silas. And by the time they leave, there is a fledgling church in Philippi that as we read on in the New Testament, we find out that the church in Philippi is amongst Paul's greatest mission partners. They are with him all the way, donating to his ministry. And so from Philippi, Paul goes to Thessalonica. And Thessalonica goes really well, but he's only there about four weeks before there's a riot. And the Jews raise a mob and they kick him out of the city. And yet we read on in the New Testament and even in Thessalonica, there is a fledgling church that grows and grows and grows. A fledgling church who's reputation goes throughout the world how they turn from idols to serve the true and living God and to wait for the Lord Jesus we learn about the 
church in Thessalonica. And then from Thessalonica, he goes to Berea. And Berea is very um, brilliant. They're better than the Thessalonican Jews. They're noble, it says. And every time that Paul speaks, they're faces in their Bibles. They're literally Facebook people. They get their face in the book and check that what Paul is saying is true. But then the team from Thessalonica come, the mob comes, they pitchforks and torches and they chase him out of town as well. And Paul leaves alone and Timothy and Silas who were with him, they stay in Berea. But Paul escapes for his life. And then Paul goes to Athens, the great centre of learning. And he sees a city drowning in idolatry. And he preaches a sermon about the exclusivity of the sovereign God. This God who you claim not to know, he's actually the only God and the one that you must pledge allegiance to. And there's a mixed response. Some mocked, some procrastinated and say, we'll hear you again. But some believed. And so even in Athens, the centre of elite learning, this City drowning in idolatry, there is a church and people calling on the name of the Lord Jesus. And that gets us to Acts 18 where Paul goes to Corinth and Paul goes 80 kilometres west from Athens to Corinth. If Athens was like the Oxford of the ancient world, then Corinth is like the Las Vegas of the ancient world. It is a place where anything goes And everything goes. It is loud and proud, licentious and loose living. It is Pride Week every week in Corinth. The the Greek historian Strabo describes Corinth like this. Corinth is a loose living city where the city employs 500 prostitutes who serve the temples by day and the merchants in the city by night. There is the adjective in the ancient world to be Corinthian is to be wild and loose living. It is not a good reputation that Corinth has. And so Paul goes to this loud, proud city to speak about the Lord Jesus. To command people to repent and to believe in him and to commit to living holy, living life. That is a scary proposition, isn't it? Paul feels like a very small voice amidst the cacophony of Corinth. I dare say that's similar to how you feel in Edinburgh as you live during the week. Edinburgh, running away from its historical moorings in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. A place where anything goes as long as everything goes. A place where the Air is turning just more and more toxic to the gospel of the Lord Jesus. 20 years ago, people thought church was quite a good thing. They didn't want to go, but they were pleased it was there. Christians were seen as good people and a help to society, but not now. Christians are bigoted, malevolent, dangerous. You can believe in it yourself, but don't whatever you do seek to share it with other people. It's just getting a little bit constricted and a little bit more toxic. And so Paul goes alone to Corinth. 
And we know from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, how he feels. He writes in this letter um, to the Corinthians, reminding them about the day that he first turned up, turned up. And he says this, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. I was with you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. And I'm like, Paul, that's how I feel. That's how I feel in my little life as I seek to speak of the Lord Jesus and live for him in a society that's running away from you. I feel weak. I feel very fearful. And I have much trembling. And so what I want us to do is as we look at Corinth with that in the background, I want to give you four super encouraging truths that will strengthen us in our lives as we continue on mission with the sovereign Lord. Against that backdrop, I hope these things will really steal us and strengthen us and encourage us. Four simple truths. The first one is this. God plans ahead. God plans ahead. What does it mean to be on mission with the sovereign Lord? It means we have this real understanding that God plans ahead. So verse 1, Paul leaves Athens. He goes to Corinth. This is the furthest west he's ever been. He knows no one in Corinth. He's seemingly all alone. And yet, verse 2, we find that he meets a Jew named Aquila, who's a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla. It's incredible, isn't it? Pontus is on the North Black Sea coast in Turkey. Modern day Turkey, Asia Minor at the time of writing. But Aquila and Priscilla didn't come from Pontus, they came from Italy. So some point, their eyes met across a crowded synagogue, perhaps they fell in love, they got married, they decided let's not stay in Pontus anymore, let's go to, to Rome. The Romans obviously like camping, they're taking over all of the known world and who doesn't want to go visiting all these new territories that they've subjugated? And so they go to Italy, but Claudius the emperor turns anti-Semitic, meaning that Aquila and Priscilla have to leave Rome, leave Italy, and they go to Corinth, thinking all these people coming for a sunny beach holiday in Greece would love to buy a tent so they can stay, just like Canty Bay, some wild camping for the weekend. But I think it's really interesting that poor uh, Luke isn't just giving this, you know, a bit of a background because he had a bit of a gap in his um, papyrus that he was writing on. He's making a theological point that over and above the societal, geographical and political episodes that have governed Aquila and Priscilla's life is the sovereign Lord. The sovereign Lord who's been planning ahead, who's been moving his people around the world so that they're just in just the right position to support and back and partner with Paul when he turns up in Corinth. I think the key is this word, recently. They've just arrived. In fact, they've arrived just in time so that when the Apostle Paul turns up, they're there. That's quite encouraging, isn't it? That God has planned ahead. He's so sovereign over the whole world. 
that he's taken this dynamic duo of a couple and through quite a circuitous route, he's got them in Corinth just in time for when Paul turns up. So Paul goes for one coffee with Aquila in Cafe Nero. And by the time he leaves and they argue over who's getting the bill, Paul has a job, a place to live in a community group. That's pretty good, isn't it? For Paul, he was pretty nervous about what he was going to find when he got to Corinth. The Sovereign Lord has so orchestrated it that one coffee, a place to stay, a job, and a community group, God plans ahead. He's absolutely sovereign. And so Paul makes tents during the week. And verse 4, he reasons and persuades Jews and Greeks in the synagogue at the weekend. God sovereignly moving his people around, sovereignly putting them in situations where they can live for and support and speak of the Lord Jesus. And let me tell you, this God who did this then is doing that right now across this church, across Edinburgh. You are not where you are just by chance or happenstance or circumstance. You're there because God has good work for you to do in the place that he's placed you. You are the most important person that many of your colleagues know, that many of your neighbours have, that many of your family are related to. You are the most important person. And the reason is you are potentially the only person that will tell them about the life-giving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not arbitrary. That's very specific. This sovereign God who's planned ahead has looked at your sphere of influence in your life and gone, actually, this is just the person. This is just the person to put in the middle of that circle in order that people might have a chance to hear and respond to the gospel of the Lord Jesus. That's encouraging, isn't it? It's purposeful. He may have moved here for a job. Let's understand that over and above your occupation is the sovereign Lord, he thought, actually. Let's deploy that person in the middle of that office in order that people might have hope in Jesus forever. Just to prove the point, verse 5, Silas and Timothy, they obviously leave Berea, but we learn from 2 Corinthians that they've actually gone throughout Macedonia and they've collected an offering from the Macedonian churches which means that when um, they turn up, Paul was occupied with the word. That's a way of Luke saying he went full time. He gives up his apron and his tent making and he is now a full time evangelist on the streets of Corinth. Testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. Testifying that the forever king promised by God had come and his name is Jesus. And the single most important thing about anybody's lives is that they give themselves in allegiance to this king who is coming while there's still time. Most important thing. And that's what Paul is doing. God plans ahead. He plans ahead with people. He plans ahead with resources. He plans ahead with partnerships. He plans ahead because he is sovereign over his mission and his great grace is flooding into the world that people might have hope forever, being on team Jesus and being citizens of his forever kingdom. God plans ahead. That's encouraging. When I feel weak and fearful and very much afraid, I think God plans ahead. He's got this. And I'm privileged to even be involved. 
Second thing I want us to see is that God works next door. Verse 6. So Paul has been speaking in the synagogue, testifying uh, to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. Verse 6. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. The Puritans had this great phrase that the sun that melts the wax also hardens the clay. That's what's happened in Corinth. The Jews have heard the grace of the Lord Jesus and rather than their hearts be melted by it, their hearts have become hardened to it. They've become impenetrable to the gospel. And they know they can't beat Paul on his knowledge of the Old Testament and his persuading them about the person and work of the Lord Jesus. So they attack him, they revile him, and they oppose him. And so Paul plays the part of Ezekiel in Ezekiel 33 in his temple sermon. He shakes out his robe and he testifies, your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent. What Ezekiel is doing, what Paul is doing, is saying, I have been the faithful messenger. I have told you the truth. I've declared it all. I've given my all to convincing you that Jesus is the one who you need. Your rejection now is on your own heads. Your inability to respond to that is on your own heads. I'm, I'm innocent. I've done my job. That's a great ambition, a great goal for all of us, isn't it? Wouldn't it be great if we could say in all honesty, I've been the DHL man. I've delivered the message faithfully. The response, that, that's on you guys. Wouldn't it be devastating on the day of judgment that people who we knew, who were in our sphere of influence, go, I just wish someone had told me. I just wish someone had given me a chance. I didn't even know he was a Christian. And now I'm totally undone. Because I'm meeting Jesus not as saviour, but as judge, and it will not go well on that day. That's what Paul does. So he leaves the synagogue, but that is a massive problem because the synagogue has been the base of gospel operations in Corinth. Where are they going to go now? Well, it just so happens that God has been working next door. There's a Roman guy called Titius Justus. He's obviously quite a posh Roman guy. He's potentially got quite a nice villa with quite a big atrium. There would be a great setting for Grace Church Corinth. And so that's where they decide to meet. It's a great thing, isn't it? They don't even have to go to Enterprise and hire a van to move all the PA equipment because it's just next door. They just form a big chain. Dung, dung, dung. We're ready to go. His house was next door to the synagogue. God was all over this in his sovereignty. The atrium of Titius Justice. What a place for Grace Church Corinth. Romans 11 would say that one of the reasons the Gentiles were grafted in to the people of God was to make the Jews jealous. Well, how jealous are you going to be as a Corinthian Jew going to synagogue and walking past Grace Church Corinth with shine Jesus shine blurting out at full volume from the house of Titius Justice? That's enough to make anyone jealous. And as they gather outside after the service, Dead, communityless, legalistic Judaism on one side of the streets, 
joy-filled community and the Lord Jesus on the other. How jealous are you going to be? You see, God works next door. He's been all over this from the very beginning. And so the resistance of the Jews doesn't quash gospel operations in Corinth. It expands them. Titius Justus. God working next door to the synagogue. Grace Church Corinth is born. But then verse 8, not long after, they're in the middle of a service and suddenly everyone goes quiet and is very nervous. And why is that? Because Crispus, the grand fromage from the synagogue next door, he's turned up in the doorway and everyone's nervous. And they're thinking, is somebody double parked? Have we put the wrong recycling bin out today? Have we turned Shine Jesus Shine up a little bit too loud? But not at all. Crispus walks in, Mrs. Crispus walks in, all the little Crispuses walk in and they sit on the front row because then as now, the only place in an evangelical church there's ever a place to sit during the service is on the front row. And they sit there and they look into it and Mr. Crispus is nodding and Mrs. Crispus is taking notes and all the little Crispuses are sitting there with their little angelic faces. And at the end of the service, they ask great questions. And the pennies drop that everything in the Old Testament was pointing to the Lord Jesus, and they've seen that. And so they pledge allegiance to him and become citizens of his kingdom and members of Grace Church Corinth. And they're baptised. I like to think that after Crispus was baptised, he became soggiest because now he's wet from head to toe. And Christmas is just the very first fruits of all the things that God is doing. Many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptised. See, God is not any planned ahead, but he's also working next door. He doesn't just work in the home team dressing room, he works in the away team dressing room as well. Who knows what questions, struggles, difficulties, anxieties your friends and family have at the moment? Who knows what God is up to in the hearts of people we think there's nothing happening in? Who knows what God would be pleased to do? One of the great things that stops and thwarts and hinders our evangelism is that people don't want to hear. I want to say that's probably nonsense. After a pandemic where death has become very close, where people's work isn't fulfilling them because they do it online over Zoom in the comfort of their own home, where the cost of living crisis is putting the squeeze on, where we're seeing political dysfunction and the reality that perhaps man doesn't have the answer to all man's problems placated on the news every night. I dare say people have much bigger existential questions than we give them credit for. And the only coherent answer which brings any hope is that Jesus is real, Jesus is king, and trusting in Jesus brings you life forever. And if we think that God is actually working next door, what a joy that will be. As people just discuss stuff to be able to say, I don't think that's what life's about. I think life's about being um, reconnected with God and trusting in his son Jesus forever. I have a friend, he loves going to the gym. In fact, he lives going for going to the gym. 
He said to me a few weeks ago, the reason I live is to go to the gym. I said, Dave, I think that's really sad. That your life has no purpose. Oh, I said, why do you go to the gym? And he said, because it will make me live longer, because I'll be healthy. And I said, Dave, I think that's really sad. That the only purpose in your life is to live a bit longer, which by your own definition is a purposeless life. You don't know what life is for, so you think the only thing to invest in is more life. That just seems a bit silly. I said, what if there really is purpose, and purpose not just for these three score years and ten, but purpose in a relationship with the God of the universe through his son, the Lord Jesus. Loads of opportunities to speak of Jesus, just being on the front foot. There is that pain line, isn't there, where you think, oh, they're not going to be my friend, or this might really hurt, or I might be ridiculed. To think that this God who's planned ahead, who works next door, is on my team, that might just encourage us and steal our resolve to just cross that pain line and say something of the Lord Jesus. Isn't encouraging? And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptised. Have you ever thought how weird church is? I mean, church is weird. I spend quite a lot of time at the back of our church thinking, you're all so weird, but like beautifully weird. Like there's old people and young people and Scottish people and non-Scottish people. There's people I really like and people that I find really annoying. And yet, because the gospel works, we're all together as family. I mean, nobody else has got that kind of deal going on in the world. Nobody's got diversity brought together under unity as everyone's humbled under grace. Have you ever thought how weird Grace Church Leith is? You could have been on Portobello Beach this morning. And yet because Jesus is real and grace is one, you're here together as family and people come in and go, you're so weird. Like beautifully weird. And I want to find out what makes this work and what makes this tick and how I can be part of this weirdness as well. You see, in this church, there's many Corinthians who used to be loose-living pagans. And the guy preaching was a Jewish terrorist who used to love nothing more than rounding up and beating up Christians, putting them in prison and killing them if he could. And they're in the house of Titius Justus, who was a Roman worshipper of the emperor. And the guy who sits in the front row with his family because they sat there two weeks in a row and that's now the tradition. He used to be a religious zealot who used to run the opposing religious order next door. It's very weird, isn't it? And in Corinth, it's the most exciting thing that's going on every week. Grace Church Leith is the most exciting thing going on in Leith every week. Because nobody else has got this kind of thing going on. Even the very best book group in Leith will only last 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And then they'll all be dead. This will go on forever. Because Jesus is that good and the gospel is that powerful. God works next door.
Thirdly, God stands beside. It's gone really well, Corinth. Paul was very afraid. And yet it turns out being on mission with the sovereign God is a really, really good enterprise. But the fact it's gone really well, really, really causes a sleepless night for Paul. Because it's gone really, really well before. And it's ended up in imprisonment or beatings or stonings or being left for dead outside of the city. Or being called before proconsuls or being caught up in the midst of a riot or fleeing for his life. He knows when he was commissioned to this work at Ananias' house in Damascus that God would show him how much he must suffer for the name of the Lord Jesus. And so he wonders what on earth is going to happen in Corinth. Well, isn't it so encouraging that the sovereign God stands beside Paul one night in a vision? Do not be afraid. But go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will harm, attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. What an encouragement. The God of the universe stands beside Paul and says four things. He says, Paul, persevere, keep going. Persevere, that's right. Keep going. Go on speaking and do not be silent. He says it twice. Positively, go on speaking. Negatively, do not be silent. Keep going. And then what does he say? He says he's present. That this God of the universe is right next to Paul. For I am with you. Verse 10. And not only that, but God says I'll protect you. And no one will attack you to harm you. That's what Paul needs to hear because that's been the story of his life from the minute he set off on this journey with Silas. It's all hurt very much. And God says, in Corinth, you'll be protected. And then he finishes up with this great promise of progress. The gospel will progress. For I have many in this city who are my people. Many Corinthians believed and were baptised. And they were just the very first things of all that God would be pleased to do through the gospel for the glory of the Lord Jesus. I have many in this city who are my people, many who will hear and respond to the gospel. And I read that and I think, well, if God said that to me tonight in a dream, I'd be much more on the front foot with my evangelism. And yet this God has said this to all of us. God is not saying anything new He's just reiterating things that he's already said to all believers. He's called us to go and make disciples of all nations. He's told us to persevere doing that. The Lord Jesus says, Lo, I am with you to the very end of the age. I stand beside you. I am present with you. He says crazy things like, I know the number of hairs on your head. Or not one sparrow will fall to the ground outside of my knowledge. He says, I'm sovereign. No one will touch a hair on your head outside of my will and my control. That seems like a pretty good guarantee that God is in control and able to protect and prosper. And it'll progress. We know the end of the story that, that Jesus wins forever. That great vision of people from every tribe and tongue and nation gathered before the throne of grace, singing praise to King Jesus. It'll work. Wouldn't it be great if we went out this week thinking that, God, you have many people in Edinburgh who you're going to call to be your people. 
And if we believe that, we might honestly be a little less fearful and weak and very much afraid and a little bit more on the front foot doing our bit to give people an opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel. Finally, and with this we come into land, God sits above. God sits above. See what happens, verse 12, a big but. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal. There's a new sheriff in town, a guy called Gallio. He is a big deal. He is related through marriage to the emperor himself. And he becomes the new proconsul of Achaia. He is like Ursula von der Linden in the EU. He's in control. What he says goes. And so the Jews see this as an opportunity to close down Grace Church Corinth forever. So they make a united attack on Paul and they bring him before a tribunal. And this is scary because the last time a Christian leader stood before a proconsul Roman official was the Lord Jesus before Pontius Pilate. So everyone's very nervous. This is very ominous. This could be the end of the show. This could be floggings and beatings and crucifixion. And so they bring Paul before him. They bring the charge, verse 13. This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. In verse 14, Paul has rolled up his sleeves and he's ready to go in and give his defense. But before he has opportunity to speak, Gallio puts his hands behind his head, his feet up on the desks and says, I can't be bothered. I'm so apathetic about this whole thing. I don't understand what you're talking about, your laws and names. This seems like a pretty quirky, kind of slightly off to the side um, tribunal. End of verse 15, I refuse to be a judge of these things. And if Gallio says it's all right, then it's all right. This is the equivalent of an imperial sanction saying that Grace Church Corinth is legit. And just to prove the point, this rabble that has been roused, well, they turn on the people who instigated the tribunal in the first place. They're not leaving without a fight. So not only does the Roman um, civilization say it's all right through Gallio, there's a great warning, verse 17, that you're on the wrong side if you oppose it because you might get beaten up. And so Grace Church... Corinth is legit. I feel sorry for Sosthenes, don't you? I mean, the only reason Sosthenes is there to get beaten up is because Crispus was the archdefector who changed allegiance. And so as the camera pans out, Grace Church Corinth has long life in it, many good works to do. And Sosthenes is there in the tribunal, bleeding and wounded. Unable to be helped by Gallio himself. And we all want to know what happened to Sosthenes. Poor Sosthenes. He thought he was doing good work. And he actually found out to be on the wrong side. And he got beaten up. But then we turn to the letter of 1 Corinthians. And this is so exciting, I think. And we read this. Paul, 
called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. Isn't that amazing? Sosthenes, the guy who got beat up at the end of the tribunal, actually, by the time Paul writes 1 Corinthians, is in the family. He's co-authoring the letter of 1 Corinthians back to the place where he grew up. It seems that God is so sovereign, really. I like to think that there's Sosthenes lying on the floor, wondering, oh my goodness, this really hurts. Have I broken some things? One of the Christian believers in Corinth comes over and says, let me take care of you. And suddenly Judaism lost all of its attraction and the community of the Lord Jesus became ever so persuasive to him. I hope this says to you that it's thrilling being on mission with the sovereign lords. That's the opportunity, the privilege that each of us have to know these four things as we go about our week, that God plans ahead. You are where you are, not by chance, but because God has good work for you to do. God works next door. He's not just working in your life, but maybe in the lives of those around you. He stands beside you as you do it, and he sits above everything, knitting all things together for the glory of his son Jesus and the blessing of many people. So why don't we pray, and then we sing. Let's pray. Father God, please help us to honestly believe that you are sovereign over all things. Sovereign over our lives, sovereign over our work, sovereign over our friends, sovereign over our families. And would that steal us to really trust that being on mission with you is thrilling and exhilarating and seeing who you are would make our fear of others diminish. Father, please help us to believe that you work next door. Please help us know that you're up to 101 things in our lives and through our lives and on the peripheries of our lives. Please help us be ever so suspicious of what you might be up to and help us to step forward and be on the front foot in our evangelism. Father, thank you that you're with us as we do it. Thank you that you sit above it all and that nobody can thwart you, that your will is always done. Because you are the consistent God who is all-powerful. So Lord, pray for Grace Church Leith. Father, pray that you would use them mightily to make much of your son. That people in Leith would have hope because they have Christ. And so Lord, please use, encourage, strengthen and deploy, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.